Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going we're gonna to look uh, at a few verses, 16 through 23. So this portion of the scripture that we're looking at is where uh, David is bringing the ark, the presence of God, the ark back into Israel. And we've spent the last couple of weeks on that, and we're going to kind of wrap that uh, portion up on worship. This series is called Extraordinary, how God, you know, just takes ordinary people just like you and me. But when he anoints us, we become extraordinary and he does some amazing things uh, through just ordinary people. And throughout scripture, we've seen him do that. So if he did it in scripture, he's still doing it today because he's the God of yesterday, today and forever. He's still working that way. We detoured on this uh, three-week mini-series, kind of a sub-series within this, on worship. And we've seen where David has brought the Ark of the Covenant in, and we're going to kind of right here at the tail end, we're going to look at that. Before I dive into that, you know, Shay and I just wanted to uh, talk about our marriage a little bit. She always kind of gets a little uh, nervous when I say stuff like that. Uh, You know, as a matter of fact, we're coming to church this morning, and uh, um, we haven't always rode in cars the, the same car to church together. As a matter of fact, I sort of like riding by myself. Uh, you know, I'll have to answer any questions. I can listen to the kind of music I want to, which is really no music in the car. I've just gotten to that age. I'm just kind of, you know, cranky. You know, I just like, no, I don't want to hear any music. I just want to It just feels so good to be in a car with nothing, nothing going on in it. So we're driving to church this morning. She looks over uh, as she does uh, many times and she says, do you know how much I love you? And I'm like, and I turn over and and I look at her and she says, I love you so much that I get up at six o'clock on Sunday morning and, uh, and get ready and come do all of the stuff that we have to do, you know. And I said, you, you doing that because you love me or you love the Lord? Like, you shouldn't be doing that for the love of me. You should be doing that for the Lord, you know. So I'm like, you're, you're messing my sermon illustration up this morning. <laughs> like, don't say that. You know, just, so, um, and, you, and you'll, you'll understand. <laughs> yeah, but you said it after the fact, so doesn't count, doesn't count. Um, but, you know, there's some things about our marriage. You, you know, our marriage is, is beautiful, but it's not perfect because we're people and uh, people are not perfect. And, you know, we, but man, we fought it out. We've hung in there. We've stuck it together and uh, 35 years we've been together. And, uh, I mean, we go so far back. We were, we were kind of reminiscing back in the, uh, uh, music room before we came out this morning. And we go so far back where we wrote notes to each other in high school, you know, (laughs) and I, I, we go so far back and we were so young I wrote her a, do you like me, check, yes or no, (laughs) note. I'm not lying. And she's like, I still got that note and all your other notes. Um, But there were some things when Shay and I got married. Now, we were just little babies, you know. I was 19, she was 18, but we started really kind of liking each other when we were like 17, right? Uh, 16. Um, so when we got married very young and there were some things that I did not fully disclose to her before we got married. All right. Ooh, it just got juicy. <laughs> do tell, do tell. Um, so, you know, we get married and there were some things about my life that I did not tell her yet. 
I had not disclosed to her. So um, we get married, we move off, we go to college. We're going to uh, Lee College at that time. It's Lee University now. And, um, and so it's a Christian college, uh, part of the denomination that we used to be a part of, we grew up in. And um, I can't remember, I think my ma- major at that time was like Christian education or something. I don't even remember, to be honest. Um, but from the age of about 16, I began to feel a call to ministry. But I had only gotten saved when I was 15. So I'm only a year into my uh, walk as a Christian. And um, I mean, you know, I mean, who knows what they want to be when they're 16, 17. You know, I'm getting ready to go to my first year of community college, and I changed my major, like, I'm not joking, I changed my major like five times. And so if you're out there, you're in your early years of college, I don't see any in that age group in here today, but if you're out there, you're in that, that stage of your life, don't sweat it, you know, you got plenty of time to make your mind up. So I, I went through several uh, changes in the, uh, in the college uh, degree program because I was really kind of sorting through the call to ministry. Um, Number one, I'm a baby Christian, so I don't even know a whole lot of Christendom type stuff. I don't know Christianese. I don't know a a lot of Jesus stuff. I'm just brand new. I'm a baby in Christ. And so all of a sudden, not long into it, about a year in, I begin to have this call to ministry. And uh, I would have these little old women that were prophetic that would walk up to me and they would say, the Lord's going to call you to preach, son. And, you know, and I'm like, uh, I don't even know what that means or, you know. So I would would hear them say these things and I'm like, I didn't want to be that. And... uh, and, and there was something part of me that did want to be that. And just kind of sorting through that, I didn't know how to talk to anybody. We didn't have a children's pastor. We didn't have a youth pastor. We didn't, you know, we, we came from a little small church. And uh, most of the pastors, no offense, most of the pastors that we are, or while I was growing up, they were older pastors. And it's like, they just didn't identify with younger people. They didn't take time up with younger people. And so I didn't feel like I could talk to them. So the, the point being is I've got this thing that I'm grappling with. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what does it mean? And, you know, I'm getting married. I'm scared to tell my family. I'm scared to tell anybody really, because I also felt so unworthy of that, you know, because I'm a sinner, dude. <laughs> like uh, the, the kind of stuff, I'm, I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a kid. <laughs> and I, I didn't do a lot of bad stuff, but I, I was a sinner. And so I'm trying to sort all of this out in my head. How could a holy God call an unholy person to do holy stuff? I'm, you know, just really racked in the head, you know. And so Shay and I, we get married, we go off to college, and I'm still dealing with this turmoil of giving over. I'm telling you, every place I would go, there would some little old lady would walk up to me, and and in uh, in at Lee uh, at the church we went to a little church called Hopewell Church of God and I cannot remember her name but she was the choir director's mom and she came up to me after uh, uh, church one day and she got that little wrinkled shaky finger and she's like the son the Lord's gonna call you to preach and I'm like yeah I heard it a few times already and I don't fully know what that means and anyway I finally just said, I changed my major from lab technician to elementary education, from elementary education to Christian education when I moved to Lee, from Christian education to, uh, I don't know, Christian formation or something like that. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give in. And I just went wholeheartedly into ministry. And I, I, I submitted my life to the Lord. I submitted my life to the call. And, and, I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've got to tell my wife this. You know, now we're young. Like, what if, she, like, because she didn't sign up for it. Because the life in the ministry is different than a mechanic. 
The life in ministry is different than a school teacher or a police officer, a fireman or a doctor. It's different. And so what if I tell her this and she's like, peace, see ya, didn't sign up for that. You know, that's not my life. I'm, that's not my life. Because like, you know, guess what? God called me to preach. So what does that make you? <laughs> A preacher's wife, you know? And like, honestly, <laughs> don't hold me. I mean, I can't look over that way while I say this. Honestly, I didn't see her as a preacher's wife, you know? I'm like, because, you know, uh, so, so here I am thinking, like, what if I tell her this? And she's like, nope, not for me. I'm going to have to choose between God and her, and it's going to be God. But I want her at the same time. And I remember where we were. Do you remember where we were? Girl, oh, she can remember something I didn't do 15 years ago. <laughs> but we, we were at the finest restaurant that we could afford, McDonald's. And, and through that whole, that whole meal, that Big Mac, you know, combo meal, I couldn't enjoy it because I was so scared because I was going to tell her, what that I was called to ministry and I was worried about what she was going to say and uh I mean I can take you back that that uh 35 years later that McDonald's is still there and I told her and man she just I don't even remember but it was a relief to me because she received that and she's like well that's no big deal you know I mean she she make any big deal and I'm telling you what here's where what what I'm so thankful for I'm so thankful that all of my years in ministry, I have not had to deal with a wife who was on a different page than I was. I'm telling you, it's a great thing. Um, because that's not always the case in ministry. And it's, it's really sad when you see uh, a man or woman of God and their spouse is not on the same page spiritually. Like, um, I've always felt like uh, that, that there were times, and, and again, this is no offense uh, to my wife, but I felt at times that I might be running a little faster than, than Shay spiritually. Uh, I don't mean that to sound condescending, and I don't mean to, for that to, to puff me up. But, I, but, I, but I've never wondered if she was going to keep up. I've never wondered, if, is she going to, is she going to keep, is, is she going to, endure? Is she going to, you know, is she going to just stop? Is she going to take a break? She's going to, you know, have to take a sabbatical from her faith or anything. But I'm telling you, it is a sad situation sometimes when you see men and women. Erica, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's sad when you see people in ministry that they are unequally yoked in the sense of, of, of their call and their passion for the Lord. And why do I start this message off like that? Because we're fixing to dive into David's life and we're going to see that that was his case. That was his case with his wife, Michael. All right? So let me dive into this and just start by saying this. The light of God's presence reveals good and bad. The light of God's presence. So David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. In the middle of that Ark on the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are on top of that, there sat this blue glow. It was like the radioactive presence of God. There was this blue glow. It was the Shekinah glory of God. It was when the presence of God was there, the tangible glory could be seen. It's just like the pillar of fire uh, by night and the clouds by day. It was a physical manifestation of God's presence. God's presence uh, was light. The scripture says that God is light. God's love, but he's also light. As a matter of fact, in the heavenly city, when we're there, there's no electricity. Why? Because God is light. He is the light source throughout the heavenly Jerusalem and the new heaven. And so the light of God's presence 
It reveals good and bad. You know when you flick a light on, you see what's uh, on in the room. I remember one uh, Sunday I came walking through here. I walk through this building all the time in the dark, all the time, because I know where everything is. I can literally walk down through this uh, uh, room and I can go down the aisles and there's so, so little stuff. But one day, uh, I did, you know, like I normally don't turn the lights on. One day I had been working in here and I thought, I'm just going to leave this shop vac right here, uh, over there kind of in, the, in, in that aisle. And I'm walking down through there, man, and I'm just trucking it. You know, I'm not expecting anything to be in there. And dude, I fall flat over on my face. And I'm like, what idiot put this here? I flipped the light on and I'm like, oh, I'm the idiot. Uh, you know, because it was what I had left there. God, light reveals things to us. It reveals the good and the bad. And when we live a life in God's presence, it's going to reveal good and bad. It's going to expose things. It's going to give you exposure in a good sense, and then it's going to expose some things. And we're going to see when David brought the light of God's presence back to the city of Jerusalem, when he brings the glory of God back to the city, we see that it begins to reveal things, all right? And so look at John, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. It says, John is saying, this is the message we heard from Jesus and that we proclaim this message to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we, meaning us, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, uh, cleanses us from all sin. The scripture here is telling us that God is light. When we walk with him, he's going to expose things in our life at times. And if we in this room, if we say, you know, there's no sin in me, you know, I, I, I've heard people say, I, they, they get into that debate. Well, uh, uh, we, you know, we're not sinners because we're saved and blah, 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 blah. And then we get over here on this other side and people say, I'm just a wretched sinner saved by grace. And you know what? There's a little bit of truth to both of those. There's a little bit of truth to both of those. Yes, we are sinners. We are are sinners by nature, but we are saved by his beautiful, amazing grace. But we don't keep sinning. We do sin just because we do crazy stuff. We'll have attitudes or actions that can become sinful, be sinful, but we don't keep sinning. We don't keep living a life uh, 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 of, of an in-your-faceness to God. Paul says, what? Grace, how much grace abounds, you know, it's so free, it's so in abundance, but does that give us a license to sin? No, we don't sin just because we can be saved. I'm telling you, I lived that life as a Christian. I lived that life as a young teenager. I would go out on the weekends, party and do my thing. And on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm in church looking all uh, clean and, 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 and uptight and right. And I was just as raunchy and sinful as those, uh, 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 was it the Sanhedrin that maybe Jesus said, uh, on the outside you look all nice, clean, and white, but on the inside you guys are horrible, you know, rotten corpses. I would come down and I would get saved this Sunday. And I'd go back out and I'd live like I want to and next Sunday I'd come and get saved again. What was I doing? I was trying to have my cake and eat it too. I was trying to live a life of sin and enjoy the benefit of salvation. And it doesn't work that way. There has to come a time in the life of a believer that we have to go. I cannot continue to do this because it's one wrong. It's immoral. It's childish. It's, it, it, it's not a mature believer. And so we have to get to that place where we say, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. What happens? The light of God's glory shines on me and shows me the areas of weakness in my life. If I continue to ignore those areas of weakness, the scripture right there on the screen says, we are liars if we say that we have no sin in us. 
We have to get to that point to say, God, I am a sinner. I have these weaknesses in my life. God, come shine your glory down on me. Show me what I need to change. And then God, give me the courage to do what is right, all right? And so I wanna just share with you real quick, the light of God's glory reveals these things to us. It reveals imperfections. You know, you ever bought something from the store and you look it over and you get it home later and you find out it's got a blemish here, a blemish there, imperfection there, broke part here. When God's glory comes, it reveals the imperfections in us. When David, think about this, David is going, we talked about this three weeks ago. When David went and got the light of God's glory, the Ark of the Covenant, and he begins to bring it back, it exposed his imperfection. It exposed his imperfection. What happened? Um, Uzzah got killed. David got mad. He parked the Ark of the Covenant over at Obed-Edom's house. What happened there? God's glory uh, showed David's imperfections. David didn't have the biblical knowledge. They didn't call the Bible the Bible then. They just... David didn't have the biblical knowledge from the word of God of how to bring the ark back. So it, it amplified or illuminated his ignorance. And that's why somebody got killed because they, they were all uh, ignorant of how to bring it back. And so we saw how the light, it, it brings the imperfections in our life, but it also, it also illuminated the identity of who David really was. Because even though David got mad and even though David parked the ark over at Obed-Edom's house and he's like, you know, we're not, nobody else is getting killed. We're not doing this. What happened is he wasn't satisfied. Why? Because he is a man after God's own heart. He was hungry for the presence and the presence wasn't back yet. Are, are you with me? So what, what, does it, I, what, what happens? The glory of God, although it illuminates his imperfections, reveals his imperfections, it's also uh, revealing the fact that David, at his core, he is a man after the, the heart of God. And so he wasn't okay with that. You know, a lot of times people, something will go wrong and they'll just give up. They'll never try again. They'll just give up. They, they, won't, they won't go back and try to learn something from their mistakes. They'll, they'll, they'll just say, I'm done. But David was not okay. When he went home, there was a gnawing feeling in his spirit that why, what did we do wrong? And so, you know, scripture, if you go over on into First Chronicles, you can read. And David, he goes and he talks to the priest and he finds out what they did wrong. Because it's like, hey, I don't know what happened but we need to get that thing back here. Well, let's figure out what we did wrong because I don't know what happened. He goes back, he looks at it, he sees his, his imperfections and he changes. He didn't go back to get it, you understand. He didn't go back to get it the same way that he got it before. He changed, he grew from that experience. And so I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter six and let's read here because we're gonna pick up where he's already got the ark almost back into the place where it needs to be. 2 Samuel chapter six and we're gonna start reading at verse 16, all right? And we're gonna read all the way through to uh, verse 23. But the ark of the Lord entered, the, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, that's important. All right, hang on. I should have told you this before we started reading. You need to have a pen, pen out. If you're looking on something digital, you need to figure out how to highlight stuff because. This is how you study scripture, all right? Things that are repetitious, when it says it multiple times, that's important. Things you don't understand, circle it and research it later. All right, so let's go back. Verse 16, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, that's important, 
looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. If you don't know what contempt means, you should look it up. Because uh, imp- she was filled with something. She was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its special, in, inside the special tent David had prepared for it. I talked about that last week. Worship is what you have prepared for. That's good stuff. So they had, he had prepared before they ever went left to go get it. He had prepared a special tent. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when they had finished, uh, when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. And then he gave every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins, and then all the people returned to their homes. I talked about all that last week. Okay, so we're not going to talk about those few verses. Then pick up again in twenty, when David returns home. So he now he's headed back to the palace. To bless his own family, that's important. Michal, the daughter of Saul, huh? Did we read that already? Yep, the daughter of Saul, the daughter of Saul. Hmm, that seems like that might be important. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, wow. So she was filled with contempt. Now she's just disgusted. How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Let's stop there for just a second. I just want to clear up some erroneous teaching that you might have gotten like I have over the years. Now, last week I talked about David had an ephod on. An ephod would be kind of like an apron, but it was a priestly garment. You have to know what ephods uh, or an ephod, however you want to pronounce it, you had to know like uh, it was an outer garment. So that means that there were undergarments. So a lot of teaching that you might have gotten in the past, uh, you know, in some of the language, how it translates here. People uh, have, have gone way, way, way off script, man. Talking about how David, uh, he danced almost naked before the Lord. Uh, that's how we say it in, in Mississippi, naked, you know, naked. But, you know, he was just naked. Um, no, he, he was not n- naked. He was not naked. He wasn't, he wasn't anywhere near uh, vulgar in, in a uh, sensual sort of way. And, and you've heard that preached. And, and I'm sorry that you've heard that preached uh, like that because it's not right. And I've preached it that way too uh, because I preached to the level of knowledge that I had, you know. Um, but, but since I've gotten older and wiser and I know how to study out the scripture more and, and look at customs and things. And so he was half naked, uh, you know, and, and she's sitting here saying, you know, well, look how glorious you, you, you looked. Uh, let me see, where, where was I? Uh, 20? All right, thank you. Look how uh, you, you distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Let me just real quickly, like, All right, so she comes out, she's got contempt in her heart, and she's disgusted. So here's the thing that you can uh, kind of deduce from this. So we know she doesn't mean the first part of the sentence. So if we know she doesn't mean the first part of the sentence, it's logical to deduce she doesn't mean the second part of the sentence in in its raw uh, form. She doesn't mean... How does, she's being a jerk. (laughs) She's coming out and she's like, oh, I bet you looked cute today. You know, no, that's what she means. She didn't really mean, wow, you look distinguished today among all the people. And then, you know, to think that she would go immediately into, from untruth to truth. No, she's, she's exaggerating the whole thing. So she, so he's not really being vulgar. She's just exaggerating it. You know, she's being hyperbolic here. And so, um, so anyway, 
David, he retorted. Now, I, I think I know what retort means, but I just wanted to be sure. I looked it up, retort. Retort means he didn't take it lying down. Like, uh, man, I was coming home to bless you. We had a good day at the office. But you're going to come out here up in my face like that. I mean, I kill giants. You know, like, I ain't scared of you, woman. But she comes out the house, and she's on fire, you know. And, and he retorted to her. He's like, whoa, hang on a second here. Like, you better back up now. Like, I come home to bless you, but I ain't in for none of your mess today. No, uh-uh. As a matter of fact, he says, look, look. He says, I was dancing before the Lord. Because you got to remember what she said. Oh, didn't you look nice out there dancing, getting jiggy with it with all the, you know, servant girls, you know? And he's like, hang on, hang on, hang, 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 hang on. He said, listen, I was dancing before the Lord. Oh, this had to sting. Who's, who chose me above your father and all his family? Dude, talk about, mm. Talk about this. <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. Oh, dude. He said, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all your family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. Not his people, but the people of God. So, I celebrated before the Lord. Yes, I'm willing to look even more. And, and to me, that's important. I'm, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this. Even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Like it's one thing, dude, to be humiliated and what other people think about you. But when you are humiliated like you're humiliated about you. That's what he's saying. Like, I, I'll get to the place where I'm out of my comfort zone. I don't even feel comfortable doing what I'm doing. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, I, I got to the point where I don't care what Erica thinks about me. I'm, th I'm trying to get over what I think about me. He said, I'll become even more foolish than this to the point of being humiliated in my own eyes. But those servants, servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So my, uh, Michal, the daughter of Saul, uh-oh, daughter of Saul, that's three times we've heard this. I'm going to come back to that in a second. She remained childless throughout her entire life. All right, so let me tell you a few more things that the light of God's presence reveals. We know it, it revealed David's imperfections. We know it revealed his identity, who he truly was. Like I'm telling you, man, when you come into the presence of God, you will begin to find out who you really are. God will begin to speak life to you. God will begin to call you to a higher place. God will begin to, to, to uh, prophesy over you and, and call you up to this place. Listen, those little ladies that put their little crooked finger, shaky finger in my face telling me that God's going to call me to preach. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm like, it was like a bunch of them. It's like they got a club somewhere and they're, it's, it's, inter, it's interstate because they were in multiple states and they didn't know each other. These women were in the flow. They were in the prophetic flow. They, God was using these women to call me to my identity. See, I was the, the kid that I never thought I would amount to anything. I was, the, I was the kid from Nazareth. Greenville, Mississippi was my Nazareth. You know, does anything good come out of Greenville, Mississippi? Anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, I, I, was, I had a low self-esteem as a child. I, I was a smart child. I was a great student, but I had a low self-esteem. And so I didn't think I could amount to anything, but God sent these people along the way that they were prophetic. They got in the flow and God would speak to them. And they, the, it, the, the glory of God illuminated who I really was. And they called me to a higher place. That's what will happen to you in the family of God, in the prophetic circle of God. God. 
But the light of God will also highlight your adversaries. Those who are against you. The ones who are against you. Listen, this is why I started out this message talking about Shay and me and our marriage and how I'm so thankful that I've not had to live the past 35 years of my life with a wife who's on a different page than me spiritually. I'm so glad that I'm not unequally yoked. As a matter of fact... I don't know where I learned it. I had to learn it at that little country church, but I knew I had to have a Christian woman. I knew I had to have a Christian woman. I actually, when I prayed for Shay, it was selfish in many ways because I'm like, I know me and I know the way I live and I know, you know, a lot of it was my poor self-esteem and it's like, I need someone to call me higher. I need someone who's already got their act together. Little did I know she didn't have it together, but she had it a lot more together than I had it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I prayed for her. I said, God, I want her because I know she's a godly girl. She's a, she's a woman of God, a, a girl of God then, but she's a woman of God. She's growing into a woman of God. And I need a woman of God to keep me straight. I'm telling you what, man, if you can find you a good woman, a godly woman, woman that is a good thing I'm, I tell, told my kids and I've got one down and one to go uh, I told my kids I don't care if they're black I don't care if they're Chinese I don't care if they're cross-eyed I don't care if they got blonde hair I don't care if they uh, uh, limp with the gimp I don't care if they make millions of dollars I don't care what they are this is what I care about number one on your checklist young ladies is he a godly man is he a believer in Jesus Christ. That is the first and foremost question. They could look drop dead gorgeous and, 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 and be Donald Trump's son or daughter or Biden's or whoever's a multimillionaire uh, out there. None of that matters. None of that matters. What matters is do they know the Lord? If they know the Lord, everything else. I'm talking about really know the Lord. Everything else will work out. Everything else. Will, the money will come. The jobs will come. But they will respect you. They will honor you. They will love you. I found that in my wife. David is on a different page than Michal. And Michal is on a different page than David. See, there's a reason, church, that three times we hear her name called. But she is never called David's wife. That's, that, is the, that, that is the normal thing. Like, we, we, we don't go around, people don't go around saying, uh, well, that's Shay, that's Bill Sibley's daughter. No. When, when she's introduced, who is this? This is Shay Stewart. She's Rife Stewart's wife. Mikal, that's David's wife. Mm -mm. You know what? Why? She was of the house of Saul. She was of the mindset of Saul. Because here's what I'm wondering. Where was she? Where, where was Michal? Where was she? We are having a national event in Israel. The whole royal family. Get your tail up out of bed. Get your royal robes on because we're going to get the, 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 the power of God back. We're going to get the presence of God back. Where is Michael? I'm just going to call her Michael, Michal. But I'm just going to call her Michael because that's what comes out of my mouth easier. Where was she? She's not a part of that royal procession. She's not a part of the sacrifices. She's not a part of the worship. She's not a part of the journey from, from Obed-Edom's house uh, back to Jerusalem. I don't know what she was doing, but I can tell you what. She wasn't back praying. You know why? Because she was on a different page than Michael. She was not on his side. She was actually an adversary. Sometimes you got to understand that God will shine the light on things and it might be people that are not too far from you. Like sometimes you sleeping with the enemy. Sometimes the enemy's in your house. And I don't necessarily mean in your house like your husband, wife, or kids. Sometimes it's in this house. Sometimes it's in the house of God. And sometimes when God begins to illuminate things, because when you're hungry for the glory of God, listen, listen, there are times where you might not feel it, but we still got to pursue it. 
There are times where it may seem distant and, and quiet and silent and we may not feel the presence of God. But it doesn't mean that we give up. We get up every Sunday and we come back and we do the same thing and, 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 and then some. But we pursue his presence. When you pursue his presence, there are times when God will begin to illuminate stuff. And he'll begin to show you adversaries that you thought were advocates. Mm -hmm. You you start realizing, man, that people that were close to you, the, the, the most that I've ever gotten hurt was by people who were closest to me. To realize that we were on different pages spiritually. Like, you know... I, I don't have a, listen, Erica, me and you, we tight, right? I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with me and you being on different pages, uh, you know, but we can't be on different pages here. Like, you go get your own page, you know. At some point, you're going to step out and you're going to plant a church or ministry, but, you know, that's happening. That's a real deal. That's fine, you know. Uh, but we can't be on different pages here. Not here. Like, we, we got to be on the same page because we're in the same house. All right? So where is she? While David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, see, she should have had her tail out there in the procession. But, but see, she was not of David. She was of Saul. She was of the house of Saul. She had the mindset. She had the heart of Saul. Because when Saul came king, guess what? That ark was in the same place that David found it. Are you following me? That ark was, was, was over at Abinadab's house. It had been there for 20 years. And Saul did not lift one finger to bring the presence of God. Why? Because he was operating under the spirit of Ichabod. See, you got to go all the way back to the place where the ark got taken. And, and what happened is uh, Phineas. If y'all remember these two guys, Phineas and Hophni, they were Eli's sons and they were perverts. They were, they, they had just desecrated the house of God and the office of priests. And Eli had sat there and watched those boys desecrate the house of God. And what happened is they took the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant out into battle for them. Oh, Jesus, my God. They took the Ark of the Covenant thinking that the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, was going to save them. Listen, God's presence ain't going to do nothing for you. It ain't going to do nothing for you unless you are a partaker, a participant of his presence. Are you following me? Are you following me? Like, no. You... The presence of God is only profitable for those who partake of it, who are participators of it. But Hophni and Phineas, they take the Ark of the Covenant out there into battle and they are slaughtered. They are killed and 30,000 Israelites are killed and the Ark of the Covenant is taken. When I forget which one it was, Hophni or Phineas, uh, it was one of their wives, comes out. And she, she, she comes out to hear what, what is happening, what is happening, what is happening. And they tell him, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. Like, the ark has been stolen. And your husband and your brother-in-law, they were both killed. And she named her child Ichabod, meaning the Lord had departed. The Lord had left them. Saul was operating under that covering. His his time as the man of God. You know, at one time he, 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 he appeared and seemed to be a man, you know, who was following after God, but he operated under this covering or lack of covering of God's presence. He was still operating under that Ichabod uh, uh, covering. And so here Michael is raised in the palace. She's never seen the ark, never seen it. Are you kidding me? This is the presence of God. Can you imagine? Listen to me. This is important for your family now. Can you imagine that you raise your children for 20 years and they do not know what the presence of God is? How sad. 
How sad. I'm telling you what, children, they ought to hear their mom and dads pray in the spirit. They ought to see their mom and dad travail at times. They need to see their parents reading the Bible. They need to see their parents. Don't bring them to church uh, just to, to be at church. They need to see you engaged in worship. They need to see you with your hands in the air. They need to see you singing. They need to see you pulling out your wallet, writing a check. They need to see you give to things like missions. They need to see faith acted out. But here we have Michael of all people, the the king's, former king's daughter, who has never experienced the presence of God. She's not seen the ark. It's been parked over somewhere else. So she had no respect of God's glory. She had no desire for God's glory. It was a foreign concept to her when her husband, a lover of his presence, says, I got to go over here and I got to get this thing. What is the big deal? Because I got some idols in my closet. Remember? When they were younger and Saul was after David, this is good, man. When Saul was after David and she helped him escape, Part of her disguise is she took one of her idols, put it in the bed, took some horse hair and some cloth, put it on it, disguised it so that when they came in to kill him, they would. My question is, what does an Israelite have a pagan God in their house for? What? Because idols were made for worshiping. So here you got somebody who they not only have not experienced the presence of God in the form of the Ark of the Covenant, but they have polluted themselves with pagan idolatry, foreign ideas about God. And so this is the concept that you've got. I'm telling you what, man, I, I, if I had more time, I could dig into that. Uh, a little bit deeper, but sometimes when you are looking to bring in the presence of God, I mean the true presence of God, not what Pastor Rife thinks is the presence of God, not what Erica or Butch or Greg or anybody, it's what is what the presence of God, what the scripture says that, that we are to pursue. When you get down to that, the raw, just that raw presence of God, God will begin to illuminate things. There is a glory that begins to shine and there all of the sudden man things are exposed. My God, if I didn't get, wouldn't get too personal and hurt some of y'all's feelings, I could tell you about some things in our church over the last six years. But I hurt some of y'all's feelings. pursuit of the glory of God oh my God <clears throat> man you better sit your tail down if you I gotta be careful because sometimes the redneck will come slap out of me and words will come into my mind and I'm like oh I can't use those words in there I can't use those phrases in here <clears throat> man you better back up if you, if you have the chutzpah to say to my face that we need to stop the prophetic stuff, it's turning people off. If I told you the names of those people, it was, it, it, some of y'all would call me a liar. I swear to God, some of y'all would call me a liar because it's so inconceivable. But I, I've had people to tell me, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> what are you talking about? Suppressing. Like, we just don't need to have these prophetic words. And the tongues and interpretation, Pastor Rife, that's killing us. That's killing us. Bro, like all of a sudden, what's happening? Because as you get closer, as you get deeper, as you get closer, as you get deeper, the light gets brighter and you begin to see things that you didn't see. 
You begin to see things that you never knew were there. And you get to understand, oh my God, I've been looking out there the whole time thinking the enemy is there when they were right here. He'll reveal some adversaries to you. Michael, she was of the house of Saul. She was a different mindset. She was of of a different mindset. She was mixing her faith. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm telling you, church, I have seen this play out in my own life. Some of y'all that are closest to me, you know how true this is. All of the sudden, people closest to me now have contempt for me. Wow. Contempt. Don't want to even be in the same room. Are you following me? That's what contempt is. Don't even want to be in the same room with me. I start giving away when I start using too many personal illustrations. You know what I'm saying? I don't care. (laughs) My 50th birthday party here, the church, Shay and a few, uh, Rochelle and put, I had people, the closest that you could get to me would not come to it. Because of contempt for me. When we celebrated our first, uh, I don't know, I think it was uh, 13 years or something like that. It could have been, no, it had to be, no, it had to be way back. Maybe it was our 11th anniversary in this building. Instead of celebrating the amazing stuff that God was doing. Without my permission And without uh, even talking through, did not come to that celebration. Are you following me? I'm not trying to make it so much about that. What I'm trying to make it about is God will illuminate people that are not your advocates, but they are your adversaries. Contempt will make you do some very crazy, out of character, or maybe really in character things. All right? Look at what it also does. It illuminates your advocates. Now, if you're looking in this uh, uh, story here, who were David's advocates? Anybody just want to take a guess? I mean, it's all right to be wrong. Anybody? All right, I'll move on. At the very end, he says down here, verse 22, he says, but those servant girls you mentioned, they will indeed think I am distinguished. Now, don't get caught up on the fact that he's talking about servant girls. Because you had to understand in their custom, what Michael was trying to do was trying to just debase him as much as she could. And see, here's the thing about the enemy. Um, She didn't wait for him to get inside. The enemy is like this. The enemy is like a roaring lion. I mean, she came out of the house growling. Like it says she came out to meet him. She didn't didn't wait for him to come into the house and say, I I would like to talk to you about something. She came out because contempt, oh my God, contempt and disgust, I'm telling you what, I've been at a few of those places before where people who had contempt for me and disgust, it's like, oh, now, (laughs) never saw this, but now we see the truth. God has illuminated the truth. And while she's talking to him, she's like, you've been out there. Now you understand, these servant girls, different translations uh, call it differently. They were servant girls of the servants. So they had male servants, 
But then the servant girls serve the servants. So she's like, she's saying the lowest of the low, like the dregs of society are the people that you're going for. This is not how kings act. See, she didn't grow up with the glory of God. She grew up in this palace where she had everything given to her, everything, you know, like this is how kings act. This is how we, we, we you know, move about. David didn't grow up like that. Thank God. David grew up on the backside of a pasture. He grew up listening to the Lord and singing to the Lord. Everything he had was this relationship with God. And so she comes out there in such disgust. She's berating him, cutting him down. And he said, you know what? You know who, who the people who will think I'm distinguished? The servants. The servants. Because a good king is there to serve his servants. The subjects of the kingdom. And Jesus said, unless you become the lowest, this is what Jesus said, unless you become the very least, unless you become the servant girl, are you following me? Unless you become the servant, you can have no part of me. Like you have to become the very least in the kingdom. The least will be the greatest. She's like, that's not how we're supposed to act. And David's saying, that's exactly how we're supposed to act. We are supposed to be servants of the people. Don't you wish we had some politicians that were like that? Man, we're supposed to be servants of God's people. And those are the ones that I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about you and your high and snooty Prada and your Gucci bag. I'm not, I'm not in, interested in any of that. I'm interested in the lowest of the low. That Matthew 25 and 40 that Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. I'm telling you what? you want the presence of God if we want the presence of God and this is kind of where the Lord's kind of moving us in some directions for next year but if you want the presence of God it's like you begin to love on the lowly you begin to love on the lowly and I'm telling you what God will come flooding in and then you don't have to have the best music on the planet you don't have to have the most eloquent preacher you don't have to have the best building but you start loving on the lowly and you watch the love of God the presence of God begin to flood into this place God his presence will illuminate your advocates people that you you didn't even know they were there. They were serving someplace in obscurity, sort of like the servants. <laughs> someplace in obscurity. And all of the sudden, God will reveal to you that they're one of your strongest advocates. And this is the last thing. The blessing of the Lord. <laughs> when you bring the presence of God in, the blessing of the Lord is just a given. Think, think of this church. So much of my life, so much of my life, I have spent in a church service coming down to an altar to get what I needed. Because that's what I thought this gathering was for. Don't get me wrong. We'll have a prayer team down here in just a few minutes to pray with you about anything, to partner with you in prayer over your health, finances, relationships, salvation. But so many years I spent thinking this gathering was for me to come just consume as much as I could. But here's the deal. This gathering is for us to encounter God's presence because inherent in the presence is his blessing. Listen, inherent in the presence of God is the blessing of God. So when he comes in the fullness of who he is, healing comes. He comes with every part of him. He doesn't come and go, oh, I left my keys at home. I left my purse at home. Oh, I wish I would have brought my notebook. I wish I would have brought my pad of favorite ideas. No, 
He comes in the fullness of who he is so that when his presence comes into this place, he didn't leave healing behind. He didn't leave salvation behind. He didn't leave restoration behind. He didn't leave redemption or reconciliation behind. He comes in the fullness. He didn't leave provision behind. He comes in the fullness of his glory when we worship him and the blessing is inherent. So when we worship him, listen, I'm just telling you, there's times you don't even have to pray for your healing. You'll be healed just in the middle of worship because he touched you as he moved by. There are times when it's like you don't even have to come down to the altar to be saved because somewhere between there and there you already made your mind up and it just happened on your way. Because he comes in the fullness of who he is. The blessing is inherent in the presence of God. The sad thing, one of the saddest things about this story right here is that David was coming home to bless Michael. He was coming home to bless his family. And her, her response, because she was just at that place, her response brought something on her. And many times people say, well, the Lord struck her barren. The scripture doesn't say that. It just says she remained childless for the rest of her life. And so most of the people that I know, that I read, that I study from, say that what happened here, her contempt for him, so shut him down, turned him off. I'm not going to divorce you, but I, I'm through with you. I'm through with you. Now, we don't do that in this day and age, but he had many other wives. Are you following me? Like, he had other wives. There were other queens, so to speak. And so her disgust, her contempt for him turned him off. And he's like, you can live in this house, but we're done. There's no more sex. There's no, there's, there's no more intimacy. Uh, you can live here. And you're going to be taken good care of, but you'll never produce an heir. You'll never produce an anointed one. Are you following me? Because David was anointed. Whoever David begat would, would have been anointed. You'll never produce an anointed one. You'll never bring forth an anointing. Oh my God. Like that's terrible to think that sometimes attitudes will forfeit the blessing of an anointing on our life. She, she forfeited that anointing, that blessing. Don't forfeit the blessing of the Lord, man. Don't forfeit the blessing of the Lord. When I come into this house, one of the things that I always am saying is, God, what do you have for rife today? What is it that you want for me or for me? What is it that you want, God? Because if there's something that you want for me, I want to receive it. I want to receive it. I don't come into this house with a posture. I used to, but I learned. I grew up. I don't come into the house with the posture of, God, please don't call me to that. God, I'll love you. I'll serve you. Oh, but God, please, I don't want you to use me in that now. Don't. Like Noah one time, he's a little boy. I guess he had heard me praying in the spirit. And uh, we were talking and having a little conversation. And I was, he was telling me something he was scared of. And I said to Noah, I said, well, buddy, I tell you what I'd start doing. I'd just start praying in the Holy Ghost. I said, I'd just start praying in tongues. And he said, no, daddy, I don't do tongues. I don't talk in tongues. He was just a little bitty guy. I, I, that's not my posture. I'm like, God, if you have this gift, I want it. I, I want it. If you want me to operate in this gift, I want to operate it. If you want me to do this, I'll operate it. If you want Shay and I to get somebody else to pastor this church and go, go somewhere to South America and, and pastor, plant a church and orphan. Like, whatever you have for me, Jesus, whatever the blessing looks like, I'm willing to do it. Lay my life down and take up whatever your cause is. I'll do it, whatever it is. And this is how you can take what I've tried to share with you today. This is how you can take it and you can 
you can do something with this message, all right? Let's say this together. The light of God's presence reveals the good and the bad. Reveals the good and the bad. So what can you do with this? Number one, be prepared to lose people. Be prepared to lose people. Let them go. Let them go. Oh, you don't want to, people are going to be saying this about you and that about you and you can't do, let them go. Don't worry about what people are saying. You worry about what God says about you. Listen, when people started leaving me, when people started, uh, uh, I mean, it's like a good Lord, like I must be the worst leader in the world. Uh, Can't keep a staff, can't keep people on staff, can't blah, blah, blah. And uh, like, what are, you know, don't don't think I didn't go through this. What are people gonna think about me? What are they gonna think? They're gonna lose faith in me as a leader. They're gonna think I can't manage, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I cannot tell you how many of those things happen in my head on a regular basis for years. But here's the one thing, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing that I pursued his presence his glory at the end of the day I don't have to please any of y'all I have to please Jesus I have to make sure that when we show up here that there is the presence of the Lord is here it might not look like what we thought it would look like but he's got to be here and I'm telling you what if you'll just pursue that don't worry about what others will think about you because at the end of the day he is not going to look at us face to face and say well what do you think about them? Well, good or bad, up and down, you know, well, good, thou faithful, sir. Well, they said no, that they didn't. No, that's not how it's going to be. He is going to look at me and how I've stewarded my life and what he's entrusted me to. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'm shooting for. So if he reveals people who need to go, just let them go. Let them go. Be prepared for spiritual warfare. Listen, a lifestyle of worship is a lifestyle of warfare. Can I say it again? A lifestyle of worship is a lifestyle of warfare. Do you think for a minute you're going to pursue and press into God and the enemy is not going to, no, he's going to come after you. He's going to come after you. What is it? First Peter, I don't know if it's five and seven or what, but first Peter says, hey, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, stay alert because the enemy is on the prowl. He's roaring. He is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You need to be prepared. I need to be prepared as we move in closer to him for the enemy to, to raise his ugly head. But we don't have to be afraid of that. We press into him and God gives us the power to overcome. And this is the last thing. Be prepared for the blessings of God. Be prepared for the blessings of God. Because when you press into his presence, I'm telling you, the blessings are going to come. Listen to me, young couples. Listen to me, young couples. When you press into his presence, the blessing of God is going to come. Don't seek the blessing. Don't seek the blessing. Seek the presence. The blessing will follow.